The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Uh, here we are in Acts chapter 11 after uh, we looked at chapter 10 last week and saw Peter take a visit up to Caesarea to visit a man named Cornelius and if you remember that story from chapter 10 from last week, it was, uh, it was not uh, an easy visit for Peter, especially in that context. Uh, what we saw in the Scripture last week showed us some, some very important principles for our current day, and that is this one reality that when Peter saw a vision, saw it three times, and if you remember what happened... God told him that if God has cleansed something, or someone more particularly, you should not call that person or that thing unclean or common or unholy. And the reason why Peter saw that vision, if you remember, this is just kind of a recap from last week, the reason he saw that vision was because he was being told to go visit a Gentile. You know, Jews and Gentiles didn't mix, didn't speak didn't eat together, didn't have any dealings with one another. In fact, even in the temple uh, prior to Jesus uh, and during Jesus' time on earth, uh, there was even a separate place in the temple that the Gentiles couldn't, they had to stay out in a certain area. They couldn't come into the temple with the Jews. There was a lot of um, prejudice, a lot of bias a lot of partiality, if you, if you will. And the, and the Scripture even said, Peter realized God does not show favoritism. So here we are in chapter 11, and we're going to see a really interesting follow-up to last week because now Peter's got to tell the story again. And uh, you'll see why in just a moment. But here's what I want us to think about before we get into the text today. Have you ever done something maybe stood up for something that you believed, uh, maybe in a difficult context, maybe uh, you feel strongly about a, a certain principle, you have a conviction that you believe a certain principle, and when you make that known and you stand on your convictions, people around you maybe don't share your conviction or maybe uh, don't want to stand as firmly as you thought they would, and, and maybe then now you're the focus of some criticism. You ever done that? Maybe you're in school, and maybe you have a conviction that there shouldn't be anything such as bullying. And maybe you see someone that you've talked to in school, and they're over there, and there's two or three kids picking on them. And you, in your heart, you feel this burning. You want to go stand up for You want to protect them. You want to take their side and protect them from this ridicule or whatever it is. And you feel that way, but you don't turn your thoughts into actions. Maybe you just stand over there where it's safe and you watch. And, and, and maybe you uh, don't act. And so at that point, you're not really sure what to do. Maybe you're worried about what someone else is going to say or do. And maybe you're, at that moment, maybe you're valuing your own reputation or maybe your own 
uh, how someone looks at you more than what your conviction is. Does that make sense? I want you to think very clearly about that principle because we're about to see that in the life of Peter. We're about to see what happened when Peter did what God told him to do. He, he very clearly saw the vision. He was obedient to it. And then when other people found out what he had done, they were not uh, proud of him. In fact, they, uh, they criticized him. So I want each of us to try to think in our own hearts and minds of an instance in our lives when something similar has happened to us. You had a, you had a conviction. And maybe that's not happened to you. And if it hasn't, uh, one of two things is true. Either you have always stood up for your convictions, which is admirable, or you've uh, just not got any convictions that you feel strongly enough about to where you would have that, that uh, issue. There's, there's no, other, there's no uh, choice C. But I want us to try to put ourselves in Peter's shoes before we read this text because it's very important that we, that we identify with what's going on here. Peter stood up, obeyed God, and he had to suffer the consequences uh, from his friends, from his peers. You know, peer pressure is a tough thing. Sometimes when you, you think uh, everybody's on the same page and you think everybody is going to agree with you and back you up, and then you step out there and then all of a sudden you're out there by yourself. You know, that happens. That happens. So let's read this text together, beginning in uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 of Acts and this is what Luke has written for us uh, as he was inspired by the Spirit. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me, and looking at it closely I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you, listen to this right here, listen. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all of your household. 
As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Father, I pray today you'll take this word that you might give us understanding. Help us to see the truth that's here before us. And I pray that you would help us to take this truth and live it out that we would apply it to our lives, to our circumstances, to our situations. We live by your truth in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Now this is an interesting story, as I've already kind of uh, indicated. Peter has to defend his actions. So the first half, really, of this chapter, the first 18 verses, kind of give us a, a snapshot of Peter's defense of his visit to Cornelius. Now what I want us to see here mainly is the initial circumstance that caused Peter to have to defend himself, okay? Because if you go back to chapter 10 and you read that whole that whole account, you see Peter was just doing what God told him to do, right? I mean, Peter, you may, go all the way back. Let's go all the way back to the gospels. Who is this guy? Who's Peter? Very outspoken, always quick to speak. Sometimes before he thought very clearly through what he was about to say, he, just, he, he was very uh, outspoken. And he was one of the inner three, the inner circle with Jesus. Of the twelve disciples, you had Peter, James, and John that were closer really to Jesus during his earthly ministry. And so then Peter was also the one who denied Christ, right? Three times. Jesus told him he would. He uh, disagreed. You know, so there's no way, you know, surely, surely not. I'm ready to go, I'll go to, to death with you, Jesus. And then, of course, 
Jesus was correct, you know, big surprise, that Peter denied him three times. He went out and, and it, the Bible says he wept bitterly when he did exactly what Jesus told him he was going to do. Then, you recall after the resurrection, in the, the end of the Gospel of John, you remember Jesus is on the shore and the, the disciples are out there. Some of them are fishing. They hadn't caught anything. and uh, They see Jesus on the, on the shore and Peter jumps out of the boat, remember, and swims. He's, he can't wait for the boat to get there. He, sees, he realizes it's Jesus and he goes to see him. And then Jesus has this conversation where he restores Peter and strengthens him because of what he had done, right? Peter denied Christ three times, so Jesus asked him three times in a row, do you love me? Do you love me? And, and Peter, about the third time you remember, Peter was just uh, exasperated. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And, and Jesus' point was, you got to know you love me. You you got to be uh, you got to have this settled in your heart because I know what's awaiting you. I know what I'm going to use you to do in the birth of the New Testament church. I know what kind of persecution you're going to face. So if you don't have it settled right now that you're following me, then you won't be prepared for what's coming. That that's the that's the person we're talking about here. That Peter, that same one who's been through all that in his life thus far, and now he's been at Pentecost. He's stood before everyone in Jerusalem and preached a, an amazing message on the day of Pentecost to see all these people get saved because he basically shares the gospel. And then he's been through some persecution already. He's, here's what I'm getting at. Okay, Peter is in no position to disobey what God told him to do. When he sees the vision, he's, he's got some history now. Okay, He's got some history of, of uh, not so good things. <clears throat> and he's got some history of uh, what it means to obey and, and, and obey at any consequence. Okay? So when Peter gets the vision, <clears throat> he is not going to disobey. He, he does exactly what, uh, what God tells him to do. He gets the vision three times, but then here's the, the point of all this. Why does he have to recount the story? Why does half of chapter 11 include his defense? If you look at the very first three verses of chapter 11, here, here's what happened. <clears throat> People in his, in, his, in his hometown heard what happened. See, when you stand up for the Lord... It's all fine until a lot of people start hearing about it. And then, you know, everybody's got an opinion. So it says in all Judea, they heard that the Holy Spirit had done a work among the Gentiles. <clears throat> and they heard how that happened because Peter was the one. See, remember if you think, I'm going to turn this way so, you can, so I can do the, the map, all right? So you remember, Jerusalem's down here. Joppa... There was a little city called Lydda that Peter went to, and then he went over here to Joppa. So he's here on the coast, on the Mediterranean. Caesarea is way up here. And so he was up here with Cornelius, and then he comes back down to Jerusalem. So that's, what, that's where his traveling has, has been, the last few little bits of Scripture we've looked at. But people, Jerusalem's down in Judea, and that's where everybody had heard what happened. But look at the response. This is why Peter's got to tell the story. 
Verse 2 says, When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision, those of the circumcision, criticized him, saying, You went and ate with the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. What's wrong with you? So you know what that looks like? I'll put it, I'll put it in, in more modern terms. Hey, why'd you go, why'd you go visit them? They don't, they don't look like me. They're not from the same place I grew up. They don't talk like I do. What'd you go see them for? That, that's my friends. That's my friends telling me that. Not just some random person. That's people that I've spent time with. You, know, you want to know what happened to me? Uh, this is just a little moment of personal testimony in my life. You know, I had a group of friends when I was in high school and college that I hung out with a lot. And you know why we got along? Because none of us were living for Jesus. And so all our activities were similar, you know. We got along great because we're all headed down the same wrong path. But you know what happened to me? When I got convicted of my sin and the Holy Spirit started messing with me and I went to change and get on a different path, you know what happened? You know how many of those friends I still talk to? That many. These were my, my best friends. I spent all my time with them. For the, the better part of eight, almost ten years. You know how many of them I talk to now? None. You know why? We're on different paths. We got different priorities. We got different principles. We got different beliefs. And so we have different interests. I'm talking about I'm talking about guys who were in my wedding. See, when you do when you stand up and do something different, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if, if some of those closest to you just vanish or and if they do if they vanish they might vanish with a parting word of criticism and tell you how you know that's stupid why you believe that why are you doing that you need, you know why, why are you changing your your lifestyle your behavior why, I don't understand but then they're 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 gone that's a, a snapshot. Peter went back to his home crowd. And all they had, they didn't have praise for him, they had criticism. And, and I'm guessing I'm not the only person in this room right now who is either going through some of that or have been through something very similar. And if you haven't, if you're too young and you haven't had that happen yet, just, just be prepared. That is, if you, if you plan on standing on your convictions, if you plan on really living out and standing up for what you say you believe, 
Because, see, that, that's got to happen. But don't be surprised. So Peter tells the whole story of chapter 10 in a space of a few verses. <clears throat> His response, because they were upset at him because he had gone to spend time with this other group of people. And his response is to share his story. So he basically goes all the way through, all the way through the first 18 verses. But a couple little statements I want you to uh, key in on because he says some things a little bit differently than uh, as far as his point of view of the story. He tells about the vision. He tells about the sheep with the animals. He tells about the uh, command from heaven and his response. And he tells what uh, the voice said to him in verse 9. He says, What God has made clean, do not call common. It happened three times. Then the people showed up from Caesarea to get him to take him to Cornelius. And the Spirit told him to go, making no distinction. There's the first clue. And then he says, I took six brothers with me. So it's almost like, hey... I'm not the only one that went up there. I'm not the only Jew that went up there. I had six of these guys with me. And, and they saw it too. So here's the point of that. You don't believe what I'm saying? Here's, here's, any, uh, here, here's a, a group of witnesses. You ask any one of them. They saw the whole thing. They heard the whole thing. They, they witnessed it with their own eyes. And so you get down to the, the meat of that story, that testimony... But I want you to see what I told you a moment ago. Verse 14, Cornelius' vision. You see, you get a little bit more first-hand account here. It said, Peter's going to declare to you a message by which you'll be saved. Now, that's, that's earth-shattering news for a Gentile. Because at this point, it's all been a Jewish message as far as the audience is concerned. So when, when he says that, uh, you can imagine what Cornelius must have thought. Wait, what? I'm a, I'm a Gentile and I get, to, I get to hear this same message that was meant for them. I get to get the, the good news given to me. That's, that's a big point right there. So Peter's telling his story and then he says that while he was speaking, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit fell. And I want you to see the comparison he makes. At the end of verse 15, Peter says, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. He's going all the way back to Pentecost. He's going all the way back to Acts chapter 2. And he's saying, do you remember? He's speaking to Jews. He says, do you remember what happened that day? The 120 were gathered in the room. The Holy Spirit fell on them. And you see the, the vision of the, 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 the tongues resting on their heads, and they began to speak in all the different languages of the people who were gathered in Jerusalem. Everybody heard the gospel in their own native language. And then Peter stood up and preached, and 3,000 people got saved. You remember that? That's what he's, he's helping them go back at the beginning. The Holy Spirit fell on them in the same exact way. And then he remembers what Jesus said about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So you see, if God gave them the same gift, now, now look at this, at the end of verse 17. This is what it amounts to, okay? If we don't see what's happening and we don't understand Scripture, here's, here's what happens in verse 17. Peter says, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Let me just break that down for you. 
any time, and, and this is this is uncomfortable. I hope this is as uncomfortable for you right now as it was for me when I thought it. Any time God says something, and it's clear, and it, it here, here it is. Here's His truth, and I personally have a differing opinion. Like God says something and maybe I don't agree. Or maybe my belief that I've held my whole life uh, maybe is different than what God tells me. Like this is what happened to Peter. Okay. If I hold on to what I think and value it higher than what God says, who do you suppose is wrong in that situation? It's not God, I'll put it that way. But, but Peter says, am, am I going to stand? In, in other words, God, I wanna, God says, I'm going to save these Gentiles. And it's as if Peter would say, uh, no, no, I don't think you need to do that. Yeah, because that's what we, that's what we say to God, right? Because he's, he's often wrong. No. Peter has a moment of clarity and says, who am I to tell God that his plan doesn't suit my taste. Am I going to stand in God's way and tell him he's off base because I know better? That, that's basically what Peter's saying. He's told the whole story of chapter 10, and then he says, am I going to stand in God's way? Look at verse 18. <clears throat> when they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God, saying, God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. See, this is why many times we choose to share a personal testimony when we tell someone about Jesus. It happened to me. It's more personal to me. Sometimes it carries uh, weight that just a simple... Uh, sharing of the truth uh, may not impact someone as much if they, don't, if they can't relate it to a personal story. This, it happened to me. Peter says, this, this is what happened. So they were silent. They understood. They glorified God because God saved people. So if you understand that what, what the, what's the result of this visit of this defense that Peter gives of his experience. Here it is. The Spirit sanctifies everyone who trusts in the gospel of God's grace. And now the Spirit, the same Spirit, defines the boundaries and the character of the people of God. It's not the law of Moses. Okay? It's not Jews and Gentiles. The, the Spirit now is defining the people of God. So here's what that looks like. Anyone who stands in the way of the full incorporation of others into the church when they have genuinely trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation is standing in opposition to God Himself. And that's not where I want to stand. When God saves somebody, there's not a human being alive that should stand in opposition to their incorporation into the church. And, and I just want to say this as a side note. You look around, and I know this is, this is a different, well, it's, not, it's a related subject. 
Have you ever heard this statement? Sunday morning between 10 and noon is the most segregated hours of the, of the week. You ever heard that? Just, I mean, okay. I hope everybody's uncomfortable. That was the goal. Look around this room. This is not what heaven looks like. Did you hear me? On earth, we have comfort levels that, and I'm not, I'm not picking on us. Please don't hear me say that. I'm not picking on us. This, this is a universal truth, okay? You could go anywhere in this county, in this state, in this country. Uh, you'll have exactly the same thing. Uh, of, uh, that, why do you think there is a, uh, a Korean congregation? Or, or why do you think there's a Chinese congregation? Or why do you think there's a predominantly black congregation? It, it's all, we all, we, uh, human beings suffer from the comfort level. That's just who we are. So none of those churches, none of them look like heaven. You understand what I'm saying? It's not peculiar to one church. None of them look like heaven. So we, we need to start exploring our mindset when it comes to earthly barriers to spiritual situations. So in practical terms, this, this whole story challenges Christians to be at least aware of allowing cultural or social or inherited religious barriers to hinder the acceptance of new converts into the church. So that's what Peter's defense is about. Now after this, you get to see some, some of this working out in... in uh, in practical ways, because the gospel is about to go to Antioch. Now, this is, this is a, a, an interesting situation. You've got three cities, Phoenicia, Cyprus, which is an island, and then Antioch. And the gospel is going to go there. It says, takes you all the way back to Acts chapter 8, when Stephen was killed as the first Christian martyr. And you remember the persecution that arose. That's what, called, uh, what caused Saul to go to Damascus. Right? He was persecuting the church. So it says here that when everyone was scattered... After Stephen got killed, it says they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they were speaking the words to no one but Jews only. But then it says in verse 20, there were some who spoke to the Hellenists in Antioch preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, here's the two main points of the second half, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to summarize here so it'll be easier for us to see in the big picture. Verse 21. Verse 21 is huge in this whole story. You know why? Because in that one verse, you see the sovereign hand of God and the human response to the gospel all rolled into one. In one, one sentence. This is, this is what happens when we share the gospel. It says, the hand of the Lord was with them. And then it says, many people turned to the Lord and believed. So there's a, a, a movement of God in evangelism, by the Holy Spirit. Then there's a response of the people in evangelism where you hear the gospel, you respond to it, you believe in the Lord Jesus, and you're saved. And so in that one verse, the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so then this report came back to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So now all these reports from these other places are coming back to the church in Jerusalem, and they send Barnabas, Mr. Encouragement, they send him to Antioch to help. 
And you know what Antioch, uh, happens in Antioch when Barnabas gets there? He, it says he sees, not he understands, not he witnesses, but he, he sees the grace of God. Imagine what's happening for you to be able to see visibly the grace of God in, in, in work, in the people's lives. And so he's encouraging them. He says he was glad. He's asked, you know, encouraging them to be faithful to the Lord. He was a, it's, the Bible says in verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Spirit, full of faith. But look at the end of verse 24. A great number of people were added to the Lord. See, this is what happens. Remember, remember when, uh, this has been over the last three or four weeks, I guess, we talk about sharing the gospel. We talk about where we're supposed to share the gospel. Well, I'll ask you the question this morning. Where and when are we supposed to share the gospel? Everywhere, all the time, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, it's that simple. Everywhere, all the time. So you know what happens when we do that? Verse 24. A great number of people were added to the Lord. When, when we do what the Bible says, we shouldn't be surprised when what the Bible says actually happens. Doesn't that make sense? When we, when we take the gospel with us everywhere we go, and we are indiscriminate, in sharing. In other words, I don't pick who I tell. If you're a, if you're a living, breathing person, I'm, I'm supposed to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. There's a lot, of, a lot of fish in the sea, right? When, evangelistically speaking, right? There's, a lot of, there's plenty of people to tell. And I don't have to, I don't have to worry about uh, matching up criteria and saying... Well, should I tell them or should I not? No. The answer is always yes. Tell them about Jesus. And this is what happens. A great number of people were added to the Lord. So what does Barnabas do? He, he's got to travel to Tarsus to go get Saul. Now, you remember at the end of chapter 9, it says Saul went to Caesarea and then went to Tarsus, which was his home. So now Barnabas is going to go and leave Antioch and go get him. Why? Who's y'all got? A, anybody got a friend that's really smart? Like when you, like I'm saying, like you may be smart and that's fine, but I'm saying you got a friend though, and and if somebody were to ask you who's the smartest person you know, that person's face would pop in your mind immediately. Anybody got a friend like that? Anybody know somebody like that? Like you just, it, 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 I see some of you, I can tell by your facial expression, some of you have got somebody in mind right now. It's like, that, that's the smartest person. I've got, uh, I've got a brother-in-law, my sister's husband. If he, if he ever watches this, I'm, you know, it'll be embarrassing, but he, he knows. He's the smartest guy I know. He's just always got the right thing to say. He always says it in the right way. I mean, it's just his personality, everything. He's, he's one of the wisest, smartest people, people I know. And so he's very uh, skilled at gospel conversation, or any conversation for that matter. He could talk to somebody on the street he's never met. He could go uh, and talk to the smartest person, you know, some, some engineer or some uh, whoever, you know, whoever you think is the smartest person you know. He could go talk to them and be perfectly fine in either context. He's just that kind of guy. Barnabas goes to get Saul. Mr. Pharisee, Mr. I've got the whole Old Testament memorized, you know, Mr. The, the top of his class, the, the right family, the right background, the right schooling, everything. And then, so he wants Saul. 
to be there with him. So the Bible says he goes to get Saul, and what does he do? He brought him to Antioch. So he had to go leave the church, go to Tarsus, get Antioch. But then look at verse 26. For a whole year, a whole year they met with the church and taught people. It makes sense to go get a real smart guy if you're going to try to disciple and, and teach people the Bible. So for a whole year they met with the church, taught a great many people, and, and here's, here's the last uh, key in this, uh, well, next to the last key in this story, okay? Look at the verse, um, let's see, verse 27. Anybody find that odd? In, in the least. You find it odd? The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You know why? Antioch was, if not the first, was one of the first Christian gospel churches that was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. It, it was a church in this day and age, in this time, that looked like heaven. Okay? And, and here's why, here's why the disciples, here's the significance of that verse. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch because... They didn't, they didn't know what else to call them, people in the community. It, well, they're not Jews. They're not Gentiles. They're Christians. You, you see that? It's a, it's a third category. Up to this point, it was always Jews. If you don't fit into this category, you're a Gentile. It was Jews or Gentiles. That's it. Well, now... What happens when Jews and Gentiles are together in Christ and they're in the same church? Because they have the same Savior and the same beliefs. Well, we can't call them Jews. can't call them Gentiles. They're Christians. You know what Christian means? Literally what the word Christian means? Little Christ. You know how they, how they came to be called Christians? This is a word for us today. They looked like Jesus. They lived like Jesus. They acted like Jesus. And we're about to see that this closes, this, this passage closes with an example of that. They called them Christians because that's what they were living like. They were looking like Christ. All right, let's get to the end. Prophets came says verse 27. <clears throat> Prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit there was going to be a great famine all over the world. So, when you get news, all right, this, this is a great example. When you get news that there's going to be a famine all over the world and you just happen to be a brand new church in Antioch with a brand new designation of Christians... Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter. They're Christians. What is their response to the prophecy of a famine over the whole world? Look what they do. Look at the text. Verse 28. I mean, verse 29 and 30. This little church made up of Jews and Gentiles decide, oh, well, there's, gonna be a, there's a famine coming? Well, you know what we need to do? We need to help. We need to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So you know what they do? According to their ability, the Bible says, they took up a collection and sent it to Judea. 
they weren't asking for help. They were finding out how they could help somebody else. What a concept. They, they got amongst themselves the disciples, it says determined. There's two important words there. It was intentionality, they determined, and disciples. They're following Jesus. The disciples determined to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And Judea is a region, it's not a town. So they sent relief to an area of churches. But that's, that was their mindset. You want to know why they were called Christians? They were doing Christian stuff. They were acting like Christ. They determined to send relief to Judea, and they did so, sent it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So after the year of discipleship and teaching and learning, they obviously learned some stuff because they sent uh, an offering, a relief to the churches in Judea. Now, how does all this apply to us? Very simply, what do we call ourselves? Maybe that's the best way to, to think about this as we close. We call ourselves Christians. So I guess the question then, that the follow-up to that is this. If we're Christians, if we're called Christians, do we warrant that title? And, and let me just tell you, I'm not, I'm not preaching at you. If, if it has felt like that, I apologize. I'm not preaching at you. I, I, I can tell you because I know myself. I need this word as bad as anybody in this room. And I'm going to tell you another little secret. Just in case you were thinking it, I'll confirm it is true. I need this message worse than some of you. I'm not preaching at you. If, you. if you think it's enjoyable when I read and study and, and, and see what the text says and what it means and then how it applies, if you think that's enjoyable, the majority of times it's not. Because I've got to deal with it before I hand it to you to deal with. <laughs> but we all got to deal with it. Because if we call ourselves Christians, then I want, I want to make sure we live up to that. Let's live up to that title. If people in the community are wondering what to call us as a church, I pray Christians would be their first choice. Let's go. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.